Welcome to Off the Crossbar. I am the coach, Pete Eibner. I'm here with my main man, the co-coach, Adam the Miz Mizell. Back again, baby. Back again. And we are here to talk about everything you need to know about soccer. We're talking about world soccer. We're talking about local soccer. We're talking about the heart and soul of Baltimore soccer. We're both passionate about the game. We're both coaches. We're both bald and we're both here. So starting off right now, our sponsored segment, it's called the mystery question of the day. Any question, it doesn't have to be about soccer. It could be about anything. And it's brought to you by Ideal Health Chiropractic. Check out Dr. Adam Maddox and what he does for the health of your spine, your brain, your back. I'm telling you, that man fixes you up right. So, the mystery question of the day, what is it, coach? Well, first of all, I got a call ideal health chiropractic. I need an adjustment. I'm know? telling you, it, it's, it's crazy. Never does that neck thing. He always has these guns that like on your back. You leave there, you feel 10 years younger, which isn't great if you're 11, but when you're 49, you feel awesome. Technology's amazing. An anti-aircraft gun now to adjust your back, huh? It's perfect. I love it. Perfect. So the misery question of this week actually does relate to soccer, or it could be any sport. Um, I love a great field, beautiful Bermuda grass, or nowadays artificial grass-ish synthetic turf fields. What is the worst field you've ever played on? Whew. Wow. Worst field I've ever played on? And it could be any sport. Okay. The worst field I've ever played on, it was soccer. And it was Mount Pleasant Park, which is where I grew up. I went to St. Dominic's school. I played for St. Dominic's. One time, I had a Maryland major game as an adult at that field at Mount Pleasant Park. First of all, there is a very shady apartment complex next door where... When I'm saying shady, it did not block the sunlight from coming onto the field, but I'm just saying there was a lot of funny business going in on that apartment complex. Little weird. They have a highly polluted stream going around the property. Um, it's right in the middle of Hamilton, so back then you could actually hear the gunfire in the distance. And the best part, there is a five-foot hill in the far corner and a baseball oh, diamond nice. in the near corner. So you not only had bad grass, you had no grass, you had second base, and you had a five-foot hill with a tree on it, which was four feet high, so you'd have to duck to hit corners. So it was multi-purpose. Slide oh, riding, baseball, it could do, the field could do it all. It was as if a, 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 a field planner said, how could I make this any more of a disaster? Why don't we take some broken glass and let's scatter it here so we hit all the bases? Maybe we could give the kids hepatitis when they play. I don't know. It was bad. An architect got fired, apparently. After oh, there was no architect. There was a guy named Barney involved. And his, Barney's job was just find these people a field. But his last name was not Rubble. It was not game. Rubble, but we won the game. I'll never forget it. We won 3-1. to one. I love that. Thank you for answering the mystery question of the week. Worst field ever. Coming in a close second, and I loved this field. I played on this field. I coached at this school. But Archbishop Curley's varsity soccer field in the 80s was about the size of this room that we're in, in the basement of a bank. It was tiny. It was bumpy. 
It had no grass. Wow. And, and it was the best place to play if you went to Curly. You loved that field. We called it the pound because anytime we played somebody on there, we pounded them. Pound them, baby. Pounded them. All right, coach. Speaking of poundings, Champions League semifinal, Barcelona up 3-0 in aggregate, goes to Liverpool and gets the smackdown of all smackdowns. I am not a Liverpool fan, but I got to tell you, there was a little part of me that, that started to sing the song a little bit. I got to say that it was fun to watch. So what are your thoughts on Barcelona coming in, legendary Barcelona, one of the greatest, most historic teams in the history of European football, going in to Anfield and crapping the bed? You know, in sports, every once in a while, you see performances like this where, you know, like for me, Barcelona is the better team. I thought when they played at home, um, they dictated the game. They were just the, the, the more polished unit, the more cohesive unit, um, clearly deserving of that 3-0 that they got. Uh, and I thought watching the game yesterday was a Murphy's Law situation where everything that could have went wrong for that team went wrong for it. Now, having said that, take nothing away from Liverpool. And I'm not a Liverpool guy. I would rather walk alone. You know what I mean? I'd, you know, I'd be happy to walk alone because I just I, I don't – I can't – get on board with the whole shtick that they have going on. But uh, you got to give credit where credit is due. And, I mean, they came out and they, they knew that the, the, the mountain to climb was very high. Um, but they, you know, they came out and did exact. I mean, literally, if you said you're down 3-0 in aggregate, you're coming into a place where you're at home, so it's a little bit of comfort. But you're looking at the team you need to score four goals against. And you're saying to yourself... That nobody scores four right. goals against. Nobody scores you're four goals against You're saying to yourself, hey, look, let's just go throw 90 minutes out there and we're going to try everything we can, see what happens. But if we really want to stick to the, the game plan, there's got to be an early goal, right? That gives us momentum. It gives no us, question. It gets us pumped up. And sure enough, six minutes in, you know, here you go. A and missed header goes backwards trying to play it to his center back. Henderson ends up with the ball being flicked in, one-on-one with the keeper, doesn't finish. Keeper makes a great save, but Origi's there to follow it up, yeah. put the biscuit in the basket. And you know what, it, when that happened, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of football. Because a long time ago, I think it was 1992 maybe, the Houston Oilers were playing the Buffalo Bills and were up. Warren Moon. 30, right, Warren Moon. It was, uh, it was uh, Frank Reich was a quarterback for the Bills because Jim Kelly was out. And they were down, it was 24 to 3 or something like that at halftime. And the Bills kept coming back and coming back. And what Jurgen Klopp talked about before the game was hope. Talked about hope. And we're going to try yeah, and all and these things. Hope and effort after that goal starts to be a little bit hey, wait a minute, we got a chance here. Now, Barcelona pressures for the rest of the half. Sure. Several chances. Messi had two. Uh, the keeper saved three, took three off the board easy. Barcelona had all the possession, but they couldn't put the ball in the net. Yeah, How does that affect and, a team psyche? I, it, if you can stay the course and keep plugging away, you feel like eventually it's coming. You know what I mean? But 
as you get on with it, you, you start thinking, man, you know, we could take a million shots and play for a week and we're never going to score. But they didn't need to, right? So they're in a situation where, okay, we gave away an early goal. Liverpool's got some. Now they're thinking, you know, we can do this kind of thing. And um, they just, just got a hold right, serve. Just, just, just don't let them don't score. Don't let them score three more, right? right. So, so that was pretty much the mentality. But I got to tell you, overall, I thought, like, outside of the, the little flurry in the first half, for me, Barcelona just looked, you know, overall for me, disinterested. And, and they looked like literally that they felt there was no way in the world this team was going to score four goals. No which way. Is, which is exactly what makes soccer such a great game. It was Because anything can happen. And what happens second half? The tone is set right away by Liverpool. They get a corner kick, and Van Dijk has a spinning volley from like three yards out that yeah. gets saved. But all of a sudden, that you, you just feel that momentum. You feel that start in a slide. You feel all of a sudden, maybe this isn't over. Maybe this mountain's not too high to climb. And Liverpool goes to work. I got to tell you, though, you know, the, the one goal that did for me that I was, I was just really like kind of shocked was, you know, the, the corner kick where they played it fast. It was the second goal in a two-minute span. Um, if, when, when that was developing and as you're watching, it was like the ball boy had thrown the, a ball on the field, and so one of the guys had kicked the ball off. So in the corner from the, the perspective of the camera, you literally see him run up, put the ball down, and he's going to play quick, but the ball that was played on the field, like the extra ball, was still coming off the field. And it was just time perfect to where the ball had cleared out. He puts the ball down, boom, wings it in the middle. Barcelona's disorganized and not ready, and then they paid the price. Well, I'll tell you what. Playing soccer my whole life, I got to play with one of the greatest coaches of all time. Adam Mizell? Adam Mizell is the second greatest oh. coach of all time. For me, Pete Karenji was the greatest coach that I've ever played for. Sure. And I've watched his career, and I've, 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 I'm blessed to know him. But one thing he would always say, any dead ball situation, he'd preach it. The ball's dead, but the clock does not stop ticking. Sure. The game doesn't stop. There's no huddles. There's no timeouts. So that ball gets placed on the corner. You watch the Barcelona players. As the, as the Liverpool player turns to walk away, they all turn their back on the ball. Number one rule in sports, rec level, you're in the Champions League semifinal. Know where the ball is, Know right? where the ball is. Right. Don't take your eye off the ball. It's played in. Boom. Goal. And that and broke their back. If you look at, you look at the shape that they were in, like, they were so disorganized. It was like, how does a guy play a ball on the ground right through the box at the six? I mean, no, and it's they had eight players Outside right, of the like not even back in position yet. So, uh, look, I mean, when you're making those type of mistakes, you really have no gripe. You really don't. None at all. So, I, I mean, now we'll see them get through, and the, depending on the, the results from today, um, Liverpool's going to be in the Champions League final. It's, it's, if you're a Liverpool fan, I know many of them, there's actually a charter in Baltimore, the LFC Reds, they're pumped up. Everybody's pumped up. I, I'm not pumped up because I'm not a Liverpool fan, but, um, yeah. I mean, you know who exciting. is a huge Baltimore fan, a Baltimore-Liverpool guy? Who? Bobby McAvan. Really? Bobby McAvan. I think he loves him. And, by the way, I have maybe the greatest Bobby McAvan impression of all time 
Oh, it's a great atmosphere <laughs> at the Maryland Sports Arena when that Liverpool's gonna win the game and go to the Champions League final. It's going to be a blast. <laughs> that is that's spot on. Spot on. I gotta get the mustache. You need the mustache though, and you yeah, you gotta do some camps and stuff like that. But you're you're getting there. Welcome back to Off the Crossbar. I'm your host Pete Eibner, the coach with my co-coach. Adam Mizell, and we are here to talk about the most fanatical, unbelievably stressful, and completely ridiculous part of our soccer year, and that is the youth soccer tryout season. It is when clubs overflow Facebook with tryout dates and videos and posts. It's when parents go hog wild and rumors start on the sidelines. It's when kids have their lives completely uprooted and are dragged to 67 tryouts in a week. And uh, it's probably the, uh, the worst part about youth sports. But unfortunately, that's where we are in today's society and it's a necessary evil. So coach, what do you want to say about the tryout process in youth soccer? Well, I feel like pretty soon tryouts for the following year are going to be a week after tryouts for the current year. Like, it's like the hockey season. It's, it's earlier. It's like the NHL yeah. hockey season. Kids get like a two-week window. So, in essence, you're going to evaluate talent and make selections on players at the beginning of May for a team that either starts in September or, if you're a high school sit-out team, November. Right. So... In any sport, but mainly, you know, soccer specific, how much can change in that time frame? So if oh. I'm selecting a player, I see a player, hey, he's going to make my roster, he's top 15, whatever, I put him on, and then, you know, we saddle up and get ready to set sail in the fall for our season, and now the guy comes out or, or girl comes out, and they're a totally different player from what I selected at tryouts. Do you no feel question. like that time Absolutely. in between is, is it adequate? Is it too much? Is it not enough? Like, well, here's the deal. A lot can happen, especially if you're coaching kids from 11 to 15, because the wild card is puberty. Puberty can make a, an average player great, especially if it's a boy, because he's going to add 10 pounds of muscle and grow four inches. And add and, a chest hair. And become powerful. Or... It could also be the kiss of death for a kid who adds 20 pounds and grows four inches and becomes gangly and awkward. So the whole thing is it becomes less about the development of the player, which is my passion as a coach, and more about let's put the best team on the field because we want to win. And, and sure. winning becomes a big part of it, and it is the object of the game. Don't get me wrong. But I think the short-term sight is taking over the long-term vision of a lot of clubs, a lot of parents, a lot of people. What else can happen? Well, a kid might lose his passion for playing or her passion for playing. I've seen it happen where a young lady, she's at the top of her game. She's training three times a week. She's fit. She's ready to go. She's 14, 15 years old. And then she gets a boyfriend. And that truck is derailed. Yeah. And all of a sudden, she is, uh, she is uh, uh, glued to her phone. Um, 
as most kids are. Could happen to a boy, too, getting a girlfriend, uh, and all of a no sudden that, 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 that he's point, completely soccer, distracted. Soccer becomes fifth on the list at that right. point. Right. Yeah. The first four being her. Right. So anything can happen. But I'll tell you that the other part that bothers me about this is it becomes less about the player and more about come here, sugar, come play for us, come play for us. And it's a necessary evil. I'll go back to when I was a kid. I primarily played with the same group of guys for five, six years growing up. Won some, lost a lot. I don't think I won a game as a kid until I was about 11. I mean, now I'm serious. Some of the teams I played on were that bad. But that's where the friendships were formed and the bonds were formed. And I was not looking to go from St. Dominic's to Little Flower, even though Little Flower had a much better team at the time. I wasn't looking to go from my team to somebody else's just because that team was better. I liked playing with my friends. And we all stuck together. That went through high school as well. And the friends that I have in high school that played soccer with, I still have to this day. Landscape has certainly changed since when we were younger. It's a totally different world that we're in now. Um, tryouts is disguised as a recruiting period. It really is. Uh, that's a time when you're trying to sell your team to better players, in essence, to, to, for those players to come and, and add value to your team. Um, and at this point, you know, it's just getting to the, to the areas where it's, it's not like it's, it's just not above board anymore. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of things that go on, whether it's, you know, parents meeting each other in the bathroom at a tournament. Hey, our tryout. You know, like, all, and, and that stuff goes on, and it's 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 going to go on. It's part of the beast. Um, it's part of it. So, like, for me, I've always been a proponent of just go and, you know, like, I don't, I've, I haven't had an open tryout for any of the teams that I've been involved with in a long time. And the reason for that is I just feel like it's a waste of everyone's time. I really do. Like, I felt like if there were kids that really wanted to come into our program and maybe, you know, carve their way into a roster spot or get, get involved somehow, they would reach out to us. And during the tryout period, that's when they can come out and be evaluated. But um, with the whole, you know, you're going to see the same kids at six different tryouts because, you know, they're trying to figure out what's the best situation and fit for them. And, and sometimes it's, it's not always as easy as it seems, but, you know, the more that they go and the more that they're drug around, like you said, um, they can lose interest. And uh, it's absolutely. It's and, and, and the other part is, if the team you're on is not a fit, that's what tryouts is for. Sure. If, if the, the team you're on is not competitive and you want more competitive or less competitive, that's what tryouts are for. As for me, the the primary team that I coach, they are all born in 2003, and and that team, I don't know that we've ever cut a kid. I don't know that we've ever sent a kid away. And we've brought kids in, because there's some attrition. We'll bring the right kids in, but we don't really make our bones on an open tryout. We never have. And part of that is, you know, letting the, the players come in, see, like, the club culture, the way that you run things, the facility where you're at, you know, the, the geography of it. Personality you know, of the coaching staff. Absolutely. The knowledge. The, the cost. The personality, all those things. Everything's factored in. And so you, you always have that. But at the end of the day, you know, each coach is not going to take players who are less than. Right. right. 
So it's a it's a way to upgrade your team per se, which sure. is not done in May. Like that's done usually around the other parts of the year. Um, and it's also done by your results. You know, sometimes your results will draw players as well. For sure. Um, whether it's, and it might not just be, you know, game results, but like results, whether you're able to, you know, connect kids to a college situation or whatever. And Players improve. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's a great advertisement for your team. Absolutely. I mean, but so, so, you know, at Off the Crossbar, we think that the tryout process is a stressful time for players, coaches, parents, and what you should do, probably find yourself a home and find yourself a place where your kids can develop. But once you find it, stick with it. Because that's what we do here at Off the Crossbar. We stick with it? Stick with it. I love it. Coach, we are now stumbling on to my favorite. Mine too. Favorite part of Off the Crossbar. And that is the Patrick Swayze Player of the Week. Because we all know there is no one, no man, no woman, no child who has walked the planet who had greater hair. And you and I are both fans of people with hair. We've sacrificed. Than Patrick Swayze. The mullet, the attitude, the flow. He really was the ultimate. And what do you have to do if you want the ultimate? You got to pay the ultimate price. You do. So, this week, the off the crossbar, player of the week, goes to none other than... Divock Origi. From Liverpool. Two shots, two goals, the game opener and the game winner. Not to mention, he was a nuisance all all day yesterday for Barcelona. And honestly, I think uh, before he they, they took him off, but um, he was just causing all kind of problems. And uh, he he played as well as you could possibly play. And you know, as he came off, Klopp gave him a big old bro hug. And uh, yeah, he knew that the performance was was top notch. Absolutely. So here we go. Boom! Look at that mullet. That is outstanding. Out freaking standing. I mean, yeah. Man, I remember that those days. Oh, back in the day, I had it all. Now I've got nothing except him. But I can't help you in that department, brother. All right, here we go. I am the coach, Pete Eibner, with my main man, the co-coach, Adam the Miz Mizell, filming live at the basement of a bank. Signing off, we are off the crossbar. Farewell, everybody.